When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. I'm Spencer Toon. And I made it this week. Brandon Suba jumping in. Woo! Finally, we're finally going to get to talk about issue one today. Like we talked about two weeks ago. I am excited. I love this story. I love the comic books a lot. And I've been waiting for this for a while now. Yes, your baby is coming together. I'm excited to be here with you. And uh, I, we looked over the notes. We got some exciting, fun knowledge for you all. Some of you may know, some of you may not. This is kind of what draws you in is, is the outside story. And then we're going to cover the inside story. Yeah. So we'll start with our first segment here. Let me tell you a story. Perhaps I can best explain. The story of my young friends and I is really the story of a man named Hamato Yoshi. So to begin this segment, usually we'll just kind of give a summary of the of everything, but I really want to give some background information on how the turtles began because I love it. Uh, you know, it's a story of self-made success. So Eastman and Laird were both massive comic geeks. You know, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And they became friends through comic books and they kind of started up making their own uh, books like the Fugitoid. The Fugitoid issue one was the first book I think that they made together. I could totally be wrong, but they did publish it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that for a fact either. Yeah. I probably should have, you know, gotten that. But the important part is that they had started what they called Mirage studios. So they called it Mirage Studios because they didn't actually have a real studio. It was just Kevin Eastman's, not Kevin Eastman, but Peter Laird's house that Eastman was living with him in. And so they started it up. And one night while Peter Laird was watching TV, Eastman says that he found it as his job to annoy him while he was watching TV. And so he came up with this concept of if Bruce Lee were an animal, what would be the dumbest possible animal that Bruce Lee could be? And he came up with a turtle. And so he drew a turtle with like nunchucks strapped to its arms showed Peter. He thought it was pretty funny. And uh, Peter drew another one in return. And then in return, Eastman drew four of them. And he's, you know, added the caption Ninja Turtles. And on top of that, Laird added Teenage Mutant. And they became the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they decided we need to make a story out of this. And they did. And so there's a lot of huge comic tropes in that title itself. Uh, first off, Teenagers and Mutants, that's X-Men and Teen Titans written all over it. And those were super huge comics, uh, as well as Ninjas. At that time, Frank Miller had taken over Daredevil. 
Um, and he introduced the hand and a lot of other elements like that. And so those tropes really played a big, huge part in here. Uh, same with the other thing that's added, uh, same with uh, Cerebus. So an anthropomorphic creature being the main character in a world of humans, uh, that also influenced this as well. So it kind of combined all those ideas that were popular at the time into one book. I was pretty shocked when my buddy pointed out Daredevil and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and how they really are very similar. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you know, I kind of know the story of Daredevil. It can't be that close. And then when I dug in a little more, it kind of blew my mind how much they really do have in common. Yeah, no, they uh, well, and they drew all sorts of allusions to the two intentionally. It was a kind of a, they did it in the name of parody. And so, you know, Daredevil's master's name is Stick, the guy that taught him, and their name, their master's name is Splinter. <laughs> uh, the turtles have the foot. Daredevil has the hand. Uh, so there's there's a lot of references drawn like that, including the the origin itself is a big tongue in cheek reference to Daredevil. So we kind of talked already a lot about what influenced them to make this. Both of both. Eastman and Laird pretty much worshipped Jack Kirby, uh, like one of the greatest, if not the greatest comic book creator of all time. A ton of the Marvel Universe was created by him. Uh, you know, he and Stan Lee worked together a lot. and The Fantastic Four, all that is, is all credited to Jack Kirby, especially the art. Uh, and he's just known for his dynamic poses and things like that. And I think that a lot of that is where you get that that energy that I feel like you read and when it's there in the, in the art for Ninja Turtles, it kind of comes from that inspiration. Uh, you know, Frank Miller, he was kind of making comics more gr gritty at the time, you know, Daredevil, Daredevil and Ronin uh, is what he released. Ronin was about a samurai that uh, was like in present day. I don't know a whole lot about it. I keep meaning to read it because apparently it's another big influence on Ninja Turtles. Hmm. Um, I have read Frank Miller's run on Daredevil, most of it. Um, and I can definitely see where the influence is there. Um, and then the other thing, like I mentioned earlier, was Dave Sims' influence of Cerebus. So Cerebus was this aardvark uh, that was kind of a parody of Conan the Barbarian. So instead of Conan, you had this anthropomorphic aardvark uh, going out and fighting people. And it later became a, a very controversial comic <laughs> uh, with time. Uh, there's... I don't know, all sorts of stuff. If you want to dig into that, you can. I'm not going to get into it here, but it's it's very controversial. Uh, very, you know, a lot of people would consider it a pretty deaf politically. Um, so you'd have to you'd have to go check all that out yourself. Um, so the amazing part about this whole story is they, you know, they absolutely loved comics. They wanted to create comics for a living so bad. And so one day with their tax returns and with a little bit of money from one of Kevin Eastman's uncles, they printed 3,000 copies of this story they made about the Ninja Turtles and went to a convention and sold it, as well as they put an ad up in Comics Journal. And they sold out all the copies. And there ended up being multiple printings afterward over and over. And so these two guys that, you know, did not have... They weren't DC. They weren't Marvel. They didn't have a publisher at all. They published these books themselves. No one was out there really getting the word about their book out there, but but them, and they became a huge success. They, they you know, they're in Turtle Power, the documentary of, about this. 
it talks about how they were outselling Avengers in the 80s with this indie comic book, which granted Avengers wasn't like as popular as it is now, but it's still kind of a big deal to be outselling Marvel books uh, when you're an independent publisher. It was wildly successful and it's because it's so amazing. And so that's just why I love this story is because it's just two geeks that absolutely loved what they were doing. And so they created a comic book and they created it for themselves. A lot of people talk about like, oh, you know, this book isn't for kids or, you know, this book's for adults when it comes to Ninja Turtles. But at the end of the day, the book was written for Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. That was their target audience. They didn't have one. And that's what's so amazing about it uh, and why I love it. So a few other fun facts before we uh, dig into the summary is in this book, we have the first appearance of Shredder, who is almost named Great Man. Uh, is, well, there, is there is there a parody or a tie-in to a Daredevil with that? Was no. there a, uh, a, a vegetable peeler in Daredevil? And so we were going to have Great Man in Trinidad. Uh, in, in, no, it was, it was literally just Eastman and Laird were washing the dishes one day, and Kevin Eastman put the grater on his arm, and he was just like, could you imagine a villain that just like had this on his arm as a weapon? Just, just a cheese grater. And he's like, that'd be like pretty, you know, pretty crazy. And, you know, you call him great man. And then Laird added in, or, you know, how about the shredder? And thank goodness, because great man does not sound nearly as cool as shredder. True. <laughs> true. Uh, this is also going to be the first appearance in this book of the foot as well as the Turtles and Splinter and the Purple Dragons. Purple Dragons! Yeah, it's actually the first villains the Ninja Turtles ever fight. Fun fact. And you, I don't think you ever see them once in that that original cartoon, but... No, you uh, don't. Or the I, 90s movie. I was thrown off when I started reading the IDW comics with how much the Purple Dragons played into it and Casey Jones' relationship with the Purple Dragons, too. Uh, so until I started digging into the original comics, that's all I knew. I just thought, oh, they were in that. They were in the IDW remake. But no, they're they're a big piece in the uh, Mirage world. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least at the very beginning. I don't know if they really pop up again after the first issue, but <laughs> the uh, they'll show up again in other in other iterations. And it definitely is, is a set of characters that lasted a while. I, I don't think the purple yeah the purple dragons actually don't ever play a part ever again after they they're killed. That's funny. <laughs> that's <turtles>. funny. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of it for the the fun facts and the background on this story. Uh, I love it. Uh, if you haven't seen Turtle Power, go watch Turtle Power because it'll just give you the whole background of all of this. It's a super cool documentary. It is. It absolutely is. All right. So now we're going to get into the summary of the very first comic. And uh, ironically, you, there are a few different platforms. And Spencer talked about a lot of them uh, last week or the week before on ways that you can listen to it. Uh, it was the, the first episode or episode zero, if you will. And I found there's a few people that read them on YouTube. And as I read to my children, I felt I was being read to. Uh, but it was it, it's really a lot of stuff we already know. And depending on what platform you've watched it on, be it uh, the newer movies, the older movies, as Spencer said, the original cartoon, the 87 cartoon, that will do you no good to understand this story. Hence, probably why Baxter Stockman is a fly in it. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so the first issue, it begins with the Ninja Turtles beating up the uh, purple dragons there set in New York City. 
because as we all know, they are in the shadows of the city and they finish up the fight. They win, of course, because they're the Ninja Turtles. They head on down and they're almost bragging, I want to say, to Splinter about how amazing they did. And I think that's the point that Splinter realizes they're not kids anymore mm -hmm. because they're teenagers, if you will. But <laughs> it's time. It's time for them to know why they are the way they are. And what I found interesting, and we'll really dig into this a little later here, is revenge is a huge piece of Splinter's ultimate goal. Yeah. And I don't I don't think you always see that in all the other platforms. I, I think they just try to make it more of a feud. Yeah, feud and, and they kind of they definitely try to make the turtles look more heroic than this first issue does is a good word for it. Uh, a little less uh murdery. <laughs> right. You know? Right. So once uh, they sit down Splinter tells them, "Hey, it's it's time for me to kind of tell you what's going on." And Splinter originally, the mouse or the rat he was a pet of Hamato Yoshi, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, Hamato. I mean, that's how I say yeah, it. Hamato if Yoshi. it's wrong, okay. then, it, then it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. I'm, I'm not great with uh, foreign names. And uh, he was one of the greatest warriors of the clan, which is the Foot Clan. And of course, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little later too, but as uh, Hamato was practicing... Splinter or the rat would also mimic his moves in the cage. So he was basically learning uh, how to be a warrior, just like uh, Hamato was. So then, of course, there's always a love story. And a love story generally leads to a hate story. And uh, uh, Hamato was in love with Tang Shen. And, of course, they became married, right? Didn't they get married? Uh, they do later. They're not quite married yet. Okay, they're not married at this point. Okay. So then Nagi, who is in essence uh, Shredder's brother. Yeah, correct? his older yep. brother. So Nagi also loved Tang Shen and became very, very jealous to the point that Nagi, let's see, Nagi began to beat her. Yeah, he just tried to, like, then force her to marry him kind of thing. Right, you know? right, right, right. Hey. Very and then Yoshi, Yoshi came in, saw what was going on. You know how those ninja fights go. Two yeah. come in, one walk out, and had to kill, had to kill Nagi. So then, after uh, killing, that's very dishonorable in their culture. Yeah, you can't had to, remember your clan. Right, exactly. So I had to hit the road, got out of there, and that is actually how he ended up in New York City with Tang. So... Of course, he brought the rat with him, because why wouldn't he, right? Now, in Japan, Nagi's brother, Saki, or as we know as Shredder, uh, he swore vengeance. And he was going to find Yoshi and basically kill him and to avenge his brother. And really, I feel Splinter, and uh, not Splinter, I'm sorry, Yoshi, he goes through that process in his head. I mean, he almost kills himself knowing what he had done. So it's, it's a battle to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so... Guess who moves to New York, Spencer? Could it be uh, Orokusaki? That's right. And he brings the Foot Clan with him, and they become a criminal powerhouse. Uh, I, now, you would know this. 
are they rivals with the the purple dragons or do they never really talk about that uh they, they don't really ever talk about that the only thing that's really there is just that like you know shredder got put in charge rokusaki got put in charge of the new york branch and then he just got him into crime you know they become like assassins okay uh is their their main thing but they're also like hired guns and, and whatever else is kind of the description it gives but you know they're their mo- their main business, their big source of income is is assassination. Okay, so of course, Saki's main goal is to hunt down Tang and Yoshi, and he finds them. Which we'll talk about how easy it is to find people in New York, according uh, to the comic here in a minute. And he murders Tang, kills her, gone. So now we have the ultimate revenge going both ways. They both hate each other, which they probably did before. Uh, And within the fight, of course, the cage falls. Splinter breaks free and runs away. He runs off, I believe, uh, into an alley and uh, living off garbage scraps and all that great stuff. Until one day, a TCRI truck drove by and a canister flew out, as most of us no, as the ooze. And the canister, I love how they specify, struck a young man in the head, yeah. bounced off the pavement, and smashed into a boy's aquarium filled with turtles. So let me get this straight. We're in the middle of New York, and some dude just got his his four turtles in his, in his little uh, aquarium, little right? boy. I think, I think he just gotten them, you know, from the pet store. And right. that 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 canister striking that boy's head is is a reference to Daredevil. So oh, is it? Yeah. How so? So Daredevil, his origin story is that he went and saved a blind man, or at least a man that was crossing the street from a truck that was going to hit him. And the truck stops and swerves, and in that process, as he's saving him, a canister flies out, splashes, and and the the radioactive stuff gets in his eyes and makes uh... him blind. So that, that canister that struck his head, that's supposed to be Daredevil, and then it continues on and later hits the turtles. All that's, right. That's the very tongue-in-cheek reference to Daredevil. So, <laughs> you know, Daredevil, after losing his sight, ends up with the rest of his senses incredibly enhanced, including a new radar sense, you know, <laughs> the sense that's going on around him. So then, as we all know, the canister of ooze, it goes down into the sewers, um... Well, I guess not. In the, yeah, in this case, it hit the turtles, goes down into the alleyway, not necessarily the sewers yet. And that is when our best friend Splinter finds the turtles, chooses to take care of them because that's what all animals do. And within the first second day, they start growing and he starts seeing that they're they're moving differently. They're getting bigger as, of course, is Splinter through all of this. And then one monumental day one of the turtles starts speaking. And it was the first few words that Splinter realized, uh, we've got something here. And uh, he's starting to mutate along. So that is the mutation uh, that happens. As then they grow, of course, he teaches them uh, how to be warriors, just as he is, teaches them the art. And that's when they become ninjas, as in the Teenage Mutant Ninjas. And then... Splinter explains to them as as now, uh, of course, so that's the history. And then they go to Lifetime and Splinter explains to them that he basically raised them to uh, go kill Shredder. 
That's, that's like their one thing in life that because they're meant he to do. Tang Shen and Yoshi, you know, they, his whole purpose in raising him was to kill Shredder. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Revenge. Yeah. That's all it is. So it, it works. And the turtles, being that Splinter is in essence their father, uh, our hard headed turtle, Raphael, decides, well, I'm going to go let Shredder know that we're going to come and kill him. And went out and went and told Shredder, meet us at this building and we're going to have a battle and we're going to fight you. So they show up. First, the foot show up. Turtles make mincemeat of them. They don't, I, I mean, they show it a little bit, but I don't think they dig into the fight too much uh, as I feel they would now. And then, of course, it is the battle with Shredder, which in the original cartoon, the 87, they, you know, Shredder always gets like kicked in the butt and then he runs away. Yeah. yeah. And in this case scenario, uh, yeah, <laughs> with him and Krang running into the ground and stuff. Yeah. In this case scenario, though, they have a battle, and I mean, at the end of the day, Shredder still won. He didn't kill anybody, but he didn't die either, right? Yeah, I mean, it kind of just works out that they fight him, and they, they try to fight him each alone, like one-on-one versus him, and none of them can do it. And so then, as the, you know, they all work, they all use their teamwork, and they take him down. Leo ends up stabbing him through the stomach, and he's just there kneeling on the rooftop, and they're just like, all right, you know, you can either uh, let, you know, we're either going to kill you or, you know, we'll give you the chance to commit seppuku. And he just says, you know, if I'm going to die, you're dying with me. And pulls out a grenade. Uh, and before he can blow up everyone, Donatello knocks him off the rooftop with his staff. And then he's dead. So you think. And issue one. Looks like the shredder has been shredded. <laughs> That's one of my favorite little one-liners from right there. So what I really, what I really liked about this first episode, I, you got to give credit to the most up-to-date, uh, the Michael Creighton Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, because I think he took the original story and held on to it pretty true. Uh, as you as you look at not not the turtles, obviously, but the movie itself, I felt was pretty accurate to this, um, oh. kind of like the original. The original, the original is actually fairly accurate. Does a good job of adapting it as well as later arcs in there. But Michael Bay's, Michael Bay. Sorry, I read it. Thinking Jurassic Park. Yeah, <laughs> but Michael Bay's. It feels like they kind of took some of the IDW origin and like the idea that April was there and that they were kind of intentionally made in the lab and things. But in Sax was a whole new character. I really don't feel like the Michael Bay movie really translated it that well you're yeah. right it's probably the next episode that that trans that they they held true to you make a good point there. yeah so so that, that first michael bay movie doesn't doesn't quite do it but the 90s movie did take a lot from this i mean you know and, but instead of like you know pick pretty much picking a fight with the purple dragons at the very beginning they go and save april you know, mm-hmm. and they, they fight there. Then they come back to the sewer and tell Splinter that, hey, we've won our first victory like they do in the comic book. Uh, you know, the, the origin story is practically the exact same in the 90s movie and the, the comic book. Uh, the big thing that was kind of missing from the 90s movie, and I mean, we'll talk about it when we actually watch the movie, is, is the whole revenge thing. You know, the Shredder having rage right. for revenge. It kind of ends up being this off note thing at the end where just like, you know, offhand, they finally see Shredder and they're just like, oh, you're the guy that killed Yoshi. Well, okay. (laughs) 
you know, it's like they were going to fight him anyway. I feel like if I had one big complaint about that movie, it would be, it'd be that, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, he, he's the guy that did that and we're fighting you now. <laughs> well, and, but, and I, and we'll talk about revenge, obviously, as an undertone all the time, but I really do think the earlier the the 87 comic that first movie and everything they they stayed away from it and i think it was to keep the child crowd that they have yeah you don't really want to encourage the whole revenge thing where with a comic book i mean obviously you have to be a certain age to be able to read yeah and then another maturity level to understand exactly what's going on yeah no i mean they definitely were planning on on the younger audience with that 90s movie you know they couldn't have the the super strong revenge theme uh and uh, they had to and be, all the killing, <laughs> you know, I, they would have to, especially during that time. You already had moms complaining really heavy about the violence in that first movie, just with what it was. You know, they couldn't right. have Leo running Schrader through with the sword. That would have right been okay with with any moms anywhere. <laughs> you might be able to get away with a little bit more of that now, but especially at that time, it was already considered pretty violent for what it was. <laughs> that and Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've I've only seen the second one. Of Mortal oh no, it was the video game when the video, oh, video game, game came oh, out. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a huge huge issue. Oh yeah. No, I, I knew that. That's. Yeah, I always find that funny because you play it now and you're just like, wow, this is really tame compared to, uh, I mean, just what Mortal Kombat is now, you know, but there's other games that are way more violent as well than those first Way, way more. Yeah, I've always found that really funny. So I guess that concludes this segment, unless you had anything else you wanted to add before we move on. No, no, let's move on. All right, we'll head into the second time around. Hey, uh, nice junk. All right. So for this one, you know, it's kind of things that, you know, don't age well, or maybe that kind of go back and bring nostalgia to us uh, as we're going on. Uh, just, just kind of stuff that kind of dates it, older things. Uh, the only thing I could think of, and it's just because I was trying to find potential things for criticism, because I'm going to find that for everything. I love this story so much that any criticism I have is pretty small. But the only thing that might have been lost to time, but it also might have been lost on the original audience. I don't know. I wasn't alive in 1984. Uh, is there's these things that they call funny animals. That's what they used to call anthropomorphic creatures is funny animals. Uh, and in funny animal stories, the idea is that, you know, it's just supposed to be funny to have walking, talking animals that wear clothes that are like humans. There's, there's supposed to be a comedy there. And it was used in like children's, children's books and things like that. And so some of what I believe might have been supposed to have been the humor for Ninja Turtles for that that original thing why they called it a parody is that the idea of like these anthropomorphic characters going out and kicking butt and, and cutting people open could have possibly not 100% sure on this but it could have possibly just been supposed to be funny for that reason in itself and kind of entertaining and, and kind of a bit of a laugh and ridiculous uh and now a lot of people take furries a lot more seriously. You know, we call them furries. We call you know anthropomorphic characters, uh, probably due to the cartoons we grew up watching, probably due to Ninja Turtles itself. Uh, and so that humor could have been lost, but it also might have been lost on the original audience. Like I said, I wasn't I wasn't there. Well, I feel anime has also taken it out of the 
animal talking, speaking, and making it more human, more of a human with animal features, kind yeah. of like, and things like that. And I think that causes more uh, of a serious tone versus the the funny. Because a, a cartoon, you probably have no idea what it is, but Hong Kong Fui was a dog that knew Kung Fu. Yeah. I mean, the, the cartoon is ridiculously funny. Um, uh, two Stupid Dogs had Morocco Mole. I mean, in uh, Secret Squirrel, there were a lot of funny characters in the kids' realm that were animals. And I think it's because it's very relatable. You really don't see those that much anymore. Uh, yeah. Daughter watches Netflix a lot. And a lot of that is now like Barbies and Friends. And I know she's a female, but uh, even Paw Patrol. They're animals that talk, not animals like humans. Mm -hmm. So I would agree with you that it's not the same uh, animation and animal animation as it was then. And I do believe that humor was a big part of that. Yeah. To now, it's more to share the story and have the concept of it, but it's not necessarily comedic. Yeah. And that's the thing is they continue to always kind of tell these serious, engaging stories as Ninja Turtles goes on. And so like... I think that, like I said, there's supposed to be maybe some humor there. I don't know if, I don't know. I'm just not 100% sure. I wasn't around then. And that's why I, I'm kind of being like, it could have been. But at the end of the day, it's still a really good story. I still enjoy it, you know, whether it's too serious now or not. But uh, I think, kind of, you know, it's possible that the idea there might have been, it's kind of like the equivalent of when you see like kids memes now where like, you know, Mickey Mouse is like yelling profanities and, and stuff like that. You know, you, you've got this character that's known for its innocence and stuff. And now it's and now it's swearing, you know, and it, it mm -hmm. kind of has humor there. And, and that might have been some of the idea there behind the Ninja Turtle uh, initial concept and, and Cerebus. But like I said, it ended up telling engaging stories, whether it was meant to be taken seriously or not. The stories always kind of keep a, a serious-esque tone with, with some humor thrown in there so it's something i'd have to you know ask like kevin eastman or, or peter laird i think you know the day we get a kevin eastman on our podcast interview of course right and and they won't be in the same room uh at this point right they they are pretty much split forever i believe no no they're they're not split forever they uh, peter laird is retired as a comic book writer got it he, he's kind of done but they've actually they made up a while ago in turtle power when you see them together they they kind of had made up and, and then they make up at that point again and, and they see each other from time to time still so. so so spencer early days who's your favorite turtle Ooh, so this one's really really hard for me so especially because of the idw comics i feel like there's a moment where every character shines and it kind of makes me like all of them uh i have to pick between two and it's either donatello or michelangelo Donatello, I like because he's the oddball one that no one likes. You know, like, like he's kind of the one that no one likes, since there's that part of me that likes him for that reason. Um, and then my other favorite is just Michelangelo, probably because I relate to him the most. Uh, you know, as far as like, I don't know, he's just a character that really values human connection, you know, as the quote unquote party dude. Uh, you know, he, he just kind of, and you can read it a lot in the IDW series that he really values people and his relationships with them. And uh, I feel like I kind of relate to that as well as just kind of being a slacker and a goof off. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of my thing as well. But, you know, I also like elements of, of Donatello's character. And I think I think I ended up Donatello became my favorite turtle for a while because 
growing up as kids, my little my little brother Michael, he really liked Michelangelo. And of course I couldn't have the same favorite as him, especially if we're playing like the video game. We can't both be the same turtle, it wouldn't let us. Right, right. Unless he's Michelangelo. So it's just like, oh well, my favorite's actually Donatello then. <laughs> my favorite so you know it's kind of a tie between the two um i kind of usually favor donatello still but i kind of relate to michelangelo a lot i have a hard time picking i, I think i'll go donatello final answer I'll stick with all right Donatello, final answer <laughs> so for me i never understood this i still don't to this day but Raphael has always been my favorite from the beginning and honestly i'm not like him at all like I'm probably more the Michelangelo goofball concept and and that's the that's the role I take. But I, there was just something about Raphael. Maybe it's who I wanted to be. You know, like that rough, I'm going to protect my family, whatever it takes. I'm the tough guy. Maybe I wanted to be that at some point in my life. Yeah, and I mean, well, I never was. It could have been even just because in the 87 cartoon, he was kind of more the comic relief character oh, than the right. other. Right. You know, that's right. That time he yeah. that. And, you know, he kind of just would make the, the smart Alc remarks, the snide stuff. That's, that is, yeah, maybe. And then maybe that's where I picked it up, too. Could have been a bit of that. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Notice nobody picked Leonardo. Yeah. <laughs> like, Leonardo, he's just, he's the, he, he's the Boy Scout, you know? Like, like you need him. You need him. You appreciate him. But, but he's the Boy Scout. He's got the yeah. coolest weapons. I mean, like, the double katana is pretty cool looking. You know, it is, but he's the Boy Scout. You know, no one no one wants to be the button-up guy that, you know, is the one that has to take control and tell everyone what to do, except for, like, a few rare people. There's some people who love him, but yeah. it was never. For all, you, for all you Leonardo lovers, we, we still love you, but just know Raphael is obviously the best. <laughs> we still love you. He's an important character to have, you know? It's kind of like I'm a big Green Lantern fan. And like John Stewart, he's got really important stories. You know, he he's got like big choices he has to make. But he's he's like the jarhead that ends up becoming like the leader of the Green Lantern Corps, and he's super buttoned up and serious. And you know, meanwhile, I kind of favor more like Hal Jordan and Guy Gardner, who are kind of they're very flawed people. You know, and I kind of mm -hmm. like that more than I feel like most people like that more than the buttoned up guy. Oh, yeah. You know, type thing. And it's probably probably why that is, but. <laughs> <clears throat> but Leonardo, he's a valid character. And if you like him, that's very valid. You're great. Just know <laughs> we, we recognize you as a person. We recognize you exist. But, you know, Donatello's cooler. He, make, he, he makes machines. You know? That is true. <laughs> All right. I think that's it for this segment. Our, you know, I think that's about it we got there. So we'll move on to anchovies. Yeah. No anchovies. You put anchovies on this thing and you're in big trouble, okay? I call legend low. So, Spencer, you, you have a little a little tiff with a rat learning martial arts and caring for turtles, huh? Yeah, you know, like, he, he's not mutated. You know, I just don't see a rat. It's a very small issue because, like I said, I freaking love this story. I was looking for something just so I could not be too biased. I just, you know, I tried to, tried to find something. And the one thing that is kind of silly is, you know, a rat copying his master in a cage. Granted, I guess if I was a Matayoshi and I had a rat that copied exactly what I did, I'd probably take it with me to New York as well. I wouldn't leave it behind because that's pretty oh. extraordinary. Well, you'd have to take your pet no matter what. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. But just saying, it's pretty incredible. 
<laughs> it's uh, ridiculous. You know, and then he has enough consciousness to also, you know, like take care of, you know, these four baby turtles. He's like, oh, I better go grab those guys and throw them in this coffee can, you know, coffee can and, and raise them. <laughs> you know, they'll have and, fun. I'll also create this beautiful layer down in the sewer where we can all live and learn martial arts. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I kind of see a rat more being like, hey, I think I could eat that. <laughs> you know, yes. he was eating trash. You know, it's just like fresh meat. <laughs> So, you know, I guess that, you know, it's pretty ridiculous, but, you know, you know, such as Ninja Turtles. Uh, yep, it fits. It fits. fits. And it works out. It ends up being a good story about, you know, you get to at least believe that rats have a strong bond to their to their human masters and and care about them and, uh, you know, seek their vengeance. Of course. You know, so that's probably my only complaint, but the story is good enough that it's honestly a very minor complaint. I'm not, you know, I'm not too, too upset about it. So I did not like how easy it was for them to find Shredder in New York or find anything for that matter. Because think about this. They knew nothing of the story at all. Splinter shared it with them one day. And then Raphael's like, oh, well, I'm going to go hunt him down and tell him that we're coming after him. And I don't, I've, I've never personally been to New York. I've seen it in the movies. It's a decent sized town, right? Is it, would you, or a city, I guess you could call it. <laughs> You know, how how is he just going to go find the leader of the Foot Clan just hanging out? No big deal. Come and fight us. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could have just cut out a whole segment of them, like, you know, finding Foot Ninjas. Maybe Splinter this whole time has been doing reconnaissance, you know. He followed some Foot Ninjas after an assassination back. You know, he's been keeping his eye out. Followed him back. Knows where the headquarters of Rokusaki is. Let's Raph know, you know. We just used to get that little tiny bit of the story because it's such a quick condensed story. I also yeah, it's probably just an influence of all the Silver Age comics that uh, that uh, Eastman and Laird probably you know grew up reading and what they you know because we were we were in the transition to the Bronze Age at this point when Turtles came out, uh, and so Silver Age definitely it was still even out a lot of details like that very condensed storytelling very quick. Uh, one issue stories instead of splitting them up along many issues. And, and or as, as Dragon Ball Z does, like spreading out. I swear they can have one punch in the whole 30 minute episode, yeah. and that is it. The rest is staring and going around seeing everyone's faces, everyone's reactions as you're going around. <laughs> You know? Hey, I've seen every episode. I love it. I'm not bashing Dragon Ball at all. I I, I love it. I I re, I'm rewatching it with my wife for the first. You know, she's seeing it for the first time. I, I got her in with Super because Super isn't so drug out. Yes, uh, and it has a bit more humor. And so, and now I've gotten her to watch all the way. We're like, uh, we're into Dragon Ball Z. We're still in the Namek arc. That's that's pretty impressive, actually. I got her into it, so that, that's pretty exciting. It's always great to get your wife into Dragon Ball. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's probably just kind of Silver Age stuff. You know, the other thing that is, is you know, this issue, it was originally planned to be the only story that they told. Mm-hmm. That's right. The fact that it blew up uh, was way more than they, you know, thought it was ever going to be. And once again, this is why I love it so much. You know, just this whole story is because they didn't expect it to blow up. And it was just supposed to be a one one issue story. And so they couldn't even split it up amongst multiple if they wanted. They just had to to do the one one shot. So I think a detail like, you know, how they figure out where Schroeder is is something they just kind of had to clip. 
maybe, maybe someday IDW will fill in the blank on that one. Maybe we'll get we'll get a remake, or maybe we'll just get a full movie that's just the first issue. Ooh, I'd watch it. I would too. I, I would one hundred percent watch that movie. You know, just get to see Raphael beating the crap out of some ninja he found, and just telling him to tell him where his boss is. Hunting <laughs> <laughs> down the purple dragons to get to the foot, then to yeah. get to Shredder, only just to send a message. Just send a message to meet him on the rooftop. <laughs> Oh man, that would be that would be great. I'd enjoy that. Yeah, you got to formally challenge him. It's a duel, you know. That's right. It's an honorable fight. <laughs> All right. And that concludes this segment then. We'll move on to I love being a turtle. Oh, I love being a turtle. So, one of my favorite things uh well, a ton of my favorite things cuz I just love everything about this going to be honest, but my first thing is the theme of the cycle of revenge. You know, you get to see the big cost that revenge is. You know, Hamato Yoshi first gets revenge on Nagi for beating his wife as he's beating her. You know, he ends up killing her. And that costs him his whole life in Japan. He has to move all the way to New York. Saki comes, kills him, his wife, uh, him and his wife. And then, you know, of course, Splinter then has to get vengeance in return. And... You know, and the turtles have killed him, and you know it is the end, or so it would seem, of this uh, this feud of vengeance. But as you'll go on, you'll see that this whole cycle of vengeance it just keeps going; it doesn't end uh, until amends are made. And uh, I just kind of like that that cycle of revenge theme that that's just there, and it's it's a very strong theme in that first story, and it's at the roots of Ninja Turtles. So it's right there, uh, and we're actually supposed to be seeing this root, you know these roots come back in the last Ronin, which is really Ooh, it's coming. It's coming. Sorry. Uh, another thing that I loved is the theme of family. You know, I just wanted to point out that it's there at the very beginning. First issue, uh, you know, I mean, granted they're seeking vengeance, but it's still out of, you know, love for the people in their life. And, uh, or at least out of anger for the people that took them either way, there's family as well as the turtles, you know, say like, you know, as they try to take on Shredder one by one, they then say, you know, you you can't beat our teamwork. Something that mm. I don't know the exact quote, but our teamwork, you know, they work together as a team. They're a family. They, they do it together. And the other theme that I think is probably one of the most forgotten and like not talked about enough theme, because you always hear like, oh, family, you know, being teenagers, that's the root of Ninja Turtles. But a big, big theme that's there that is probably, I think, why I related to it so much as a kid and why I still do is that the Ninja Turtles are the ultimate underdogs. Like, they're freaks. They can't even go out uh, in public without, you know, people, uh, you know, without stirring some sort of trouble because they're, they're mutant turtles. And not only that, but they're ninjas that are turtles. You know, these creatures that are known for being slow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> practicing the art of ninjutsu. You know, we're just supposed to be like fast and stealthy. And they're, they're these bulky, bulky creatures uh, doing it. And yeah, on top of it, when they fight Shredder, he kicks their butts. And they have to team mm -hmm. up to actually beat him. You know, so they're just kind of these very underdog characters. But they end up pulling out, pulling out for the win. And uh, that's what's amazing. And as it goes on, the even better part is that even though they're like not even really a part of humanity because they're such you know underdogs and out of the way of everything, they still like help people out and like do what's right. You know, I mean, granted, this story is really murdery 
but you'll see others where they're they are less so as we move along and they'll, they'll kind of try to do what's right and, and do good by by everyone else unless they're at war with you you know they're probably not going to kill you uh and, and so you know kind of the idea of like you know still doing right by everyone even though you're in a world that completely rejects you is is kind of another well isn't that the men in black concept, right? They save people. They save the world every day, but they have to blank everybody's mind. So nobody yeah. even knows who they are yet. They just walk the streets and they're like, I saved your life. I saved your life. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, what's a lot of, that's what I kind of, I feel like is one of those big things that that's there throughout Ninja Turtles is that idea of underdogs. And it's important not to forget it, you know, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And I feel like sometimes you you do see it kind of get left to the wayside. They don't focus on it as much as they should. Right. And so the other things that I love, so now leaving themes for me, uh, the dynamic gritty duotone art. So the style of art that they use, and it's kind of how you get that cool shading that's going on. I'm not 100% sure how it works because uh, I'm not an artist. Nor am I. That's what it's called. And that's why it looks so unique uh, besides their art style just being unique. Uh, and it's just gritty and it's very, and it's kind of what gives it that gritty look and just those dynamic poses. Uh, it, the whole issue, the whole comic, especially with the layouts and everything has a very cinematic feeling. Like, I feel like as you're reading it, you can just kind of like feel it move and you can feel the energy of, of these characters fighting. Uh, and it's one of the things that I really love about these original Mirage comics is how cinematic it feels and just the gritty look. And like I said, there's just, I've, I'm just repeating myself now, but it's just well, so much energy there. It feels like it's moving when you read it. I wrote a note um, for the first one, and I put the pic of Saki. The picture of Saki growing up looks like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, the original Nintendo. Like, it just had one of the characters. I couldn't even tell you which one, but it just, the way it was boxed in and everything, it really looked like the Mike Tyson Punch-Out character. Yeah. But I'm also impressed with how they have somewhat honored that artwork in the IDW comics also. And now they get a little crazy in the IDW world because they bring in different artists for different um, seasons and everything. But I was very impressed with even the cover art, how they brought that up to date. So if you knew nothing about the original, uh, you would still get that same effect in, in the, the action like you're speaking of, even with the newer comics too. Yeah, that's probably part of, you know, Kevin Eastman being there. I know the, I've I've heard people talk about Kevin Eastman layouts. And, you know, so that's kind of just the way that the page looks and, and, you know, the action going on. You know, he doesn't necessarily do the entire art, but he, you know, does more or less kind of almost choreograph, you know, the yeah. action scenes kind of thing is the idea there is a, for sure. lack of a better term. Uh, you know, he, he just kind of the layout, you know, he lays it out. It's like the storyboard. It's like the skeleton for the, the comic book kind of uh, for the art. And, and he's just very good at, you know, those dynamic poses. And I think a lot of that comes, like I said, from that influence of, of Jack Kirby, because he really looks up to him. Um, And so, yeah, my last thing that I really loved is just the quote at the very end uh, where it says, you know, we are teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. We strike hard and fade into the night. You know, it, it's very much, it's just so over the top and so cool and just, it's just, that's how it ends. And then you just see the empty street and you get chills and you're just like, <laughs> so cool. I, I love it. I just love that last quote. It's so Spencer, whose, whose voice was that, that you did? Is it, was that, which turtle was that? 
Oh, that was that was just my intense voice. Uh, you're just you're, oh, okay. That's just your Leonardo, intense. I guess, because I think Leonardo he's kind of the one that's uh, narrating in his head the whole time. Right. I kind of Which, felt the same thing that that would be Leonardo, Leonardo closing out the battle, headed yeah. home, leaving that out there for everyone to know. Yeah. You know, we strike hard and fade into the night. You know, I <laughs> I just love that that quote. It's so good. That covers our show today, right? We got through the agenda here, all through of all of our notes. Um, I mean, you ha- you now have to close. Not, I mean, you don't have to close right now, but you do have to close with that quote. You do know that, right? In your intense voice. With my intense voice? Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right, then. I'll do it after our closing remarks in Channel 6 News. April O'Neil, Happy Hour News. Back to you, Jeff. <laughs> All right, so in this week's news, um, I first off need to make a correction from last week. Ninja Turtles aren't currently available in Smite, but they will be at the beginning of November. I'm sorry, I messed that up, but I'm at least still more accurate than we got this covered. Um, The week prior, I also forgot to mention the issue 110 of the main run of Ninja Turtles is out of the IDW series. Uh, it came out last Wednesday. Be sure to get your copy uh, if you're all caught up. Um, other news. It's still news. It's still exciting. The Last Ronin, number one, is being released tomorrow for you listeners. Uh, in a couple, you know, in a little bit for me. But still, I am so excited. Uh, in toy news, because I totally... Did not give any news on any toys last week. I've got some stuff this week for what I know that's up to date that's coming out. NECA just announced um, some 7-inch Turtles in Time Baxter Stockman figures and a Pirate Bebop and Rocksteady uh, figures. And those will be released in May 2021. So a bit of a ways off, but they just announced it. It's news. Uh, Super 7, their TMNT Ultimates Wave, um, Wave 4. Um, the pre-orders are going to be ending this week. It, KC Jones, Donatello, Muckman, and Mondo Gecko are going to be available in this wave. And on the Playmates front, there's going to be a set with the original comic book turtles coming out. All of them with red headbands. There's also going to be a shredder and a splinter. It looks a lot like those original figures, but with some uh, more articulation is what, from what I can see. And that should wrap up our news today. We'll close out now. Well, we enjoyed our time with you today, and we look forward to you joining us next week as we will start digging into the original 87 cartoon. We'll talk about a little history and talk about a couple episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a like or a share. Share it with others that you know have a passion with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And for Spencer and Brandon... Thanks for joining us. We are Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We strike hard and fade into the night. <laughs>